So recently, a neighbor of mine built an extra garage out next to his house. It was interesting to watch the process. He, he laid out kind of the outline where it was going to be at stakes and just some ribbons. And then he got a small bulldozer, kind of, kind of dug down about a foot. And then he, he put some more dirt in and, and a little bit of gravel, kind of tamped it down. And, and then he, he put in a footer, just a simple concrete block all around the edges. And then he framed it up and he put on a roof and he put brick on the side, put doors in it. And well, then he drove his car in and he had his garage. Not much of a process, a couple of months, maybe. I watched another construction project in a city center one time where there had been a couple of blocks of, of, of uh, old two-story wooden stucco buildings. And there was a plan to erect a 16-floor mixed-use building out of glass and steel. And so after they, they demoed everything, this was going to be the kind of thing where, you know, they'd have, they'd have commercial on the, the bottom floor and some offices and then loft apartments at the top. There's a parking garage underneath. And so after they demoed the, the, the whole thing, then they put up these 10-foot walls all around the construction site with an artist's rendering of what this building was going to look like. And then for months, you saw nothing at all. What was going on? What they were doing actually was they were actually digging down even deeper into the ground uh, and they were laying steel beams and reinforced with tons of concrete all around the parking garage which is floors which were actually going to be ceilings as well and they had to do that because they had to build strong deep so what would rise above it would be stable. Now both those things uh, give a basic principle of construction. And that is the foundation you're laying must be strong enough to support the structure you're building. Now, you may have no plans to build anything out of wood or glass or, or stone or whatever. But you are, like every other person here, every other person you know, building a life. What's the picture that you have in mind? Some will say, I'm going to build a life of influence, or I'm going to build a life of security, or I'm going to build a life of adventure, I'm going to build a life of a certain lifestyle, I'm going to build a life where I'm going to move the needle on some issue in society, whatever it is, we will instinctively choose the materials that lay the foundation for that kind of life. Since the beginning of 2021, we have been talking here at Living Hope about what it looks like to build a life that we could describe as thriving. Remember the definition of that? We said that thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting the outcomes to God's capable care. The thriving life is relentlessly God-centered. Every moment emerges from him and our relationship with him. Every moment is energized by our obedience to him. And every moment is evaluated ultimately by how it connects with him. It's the reference point for every thought, every emotion, every action. So what we're describing there really is the ordinary Christian life. The sort of life anybody who is a Christian, is a disciple, wants to build. But here's the challenge. Every day as we go through the day, we are confronted with a staggering amount of information that we deal with. And many times the information that comes to us from all sides are marked by competing truth claims that seem to be opposing to one another. And then there are needs and there are relationships and there are responsibilities and there's the change in society and nothing stands still more than about five seconds at a time. 
Now, it's true that the foundation that you're laying must be strong enough to build the life that you're, you're building. If all around us is temporary and shifting, how can we possibly build a life that's got that kind of strength to it? Well, it's not a new issue, really. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told this story. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the, on the rock. Now, what was so special about the words Jesus had said that enabled him to be that kind of a rock on which a life could be built? Where well, he said it earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, that probably sounds familiar to you because every Sunday after we read the scripture, Pastor Jason will quote Isaiah 40, verse 8, which says, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now, this makes sense, doesn't it, that, that if we want to build a thriving life as God defines it in this crazy, always changing world, we're going to have to lay a foundation of that life using the kind of materials uh, that God means us to use, his true word and the doctrine and teachings of Scripture. And that's going to be the focus of our messages over the next several weeks. We're in this series, Thriving with Truth. Now, Living Hope members, you'll be aware that recently we've, uh, we've uh, updated, revised our articles of faith. So each message in this series is going to be looking at one of those articles of faith. Not an exhaustive survey, obviously, but, but with we'll, we'll the core truth and the application. But the one thing we want to really press home is this is that doctrine is not just meant to be known. It's meant to be lived, to work its way into our living. Because you see, the doctrine or teaching that you hold will show up in the life that you live, one way or another. Because the foundation you're laying uh, will, in fact, shape the life that you're living. So it's crucial. We want to build God's kind of life that we lay God's kind of foundation. So the first article that we have in Articles of Faith is on the scriptures. It says there are 66 books all inspired by God. Here's what it says. We believe the Bible is God's only final and complete written revelation of himself, his ways, purposes, and standards for mankind. It is without error in the original manuscripts, worthy of our trust, sufficient for explaining salvation, and authoritative for faith and life. And we want to explore this morning is, is how, how do we know? Why are the scriptures worthy of our trust? Why are the scriptures that we have authoritative for faith and life so we can build a life on it? Now, we're going to clarify that by looking at, at a word from the prophet Isaiah. So if you had your copy of God's word, we turn to Isaiah 55. When we talk about prophets in the Bible, uh, they, they are not foretellers of the future, nearly so much as they are foretellers of God's word. They bring forth God's, God's word. So in Isaiah 55, God issues an invitation to people who want to experience the satisfaction of a life that's marked by, by strength and, and peace and hope and joy, but people who know that on their own, they don't have it, the resources to make that kind of life, people like us. He says, I want you to lean in close and hear what I'm going to say to you. So let's do that. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? We're beginning in Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 6. 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is God's true word. Thank you. You may be seated. So what is our king offering us here when he gives us his word? Well, the first thing to notice is this, that God enables a life built on his word to know God personally. Did you hear what God said uh, he was most concerned about with his word? It wasn't no Bible facts, people or places or archaeology or events it wasn't to understand strange Old Testament rituals. It wasn't to be able to chart the weirdness of revelation. It wasn't to be able to explain some theological kind of thing. It wasn't even to be able to find the book of Habakkuk without the table of contents if you use a real Bible. Okay? All those things are fine. But what God says is, is that he issues an invitation to people who, who want to come to him. And the main reason he gave us his word was that we might know him know him not just know about him but know him now that's not an easy thing because the bible describes god as holy which means that he's pure yes but also means he is other than us he's an utterly different category of being in the same way that we as human beings are an utterly different category of being than a ladybug or an octopus God is an utterly different being. He is eternal. We exist in time. He is omnipotent. We are weak and have to take a nap. He is flawless in all his ways. We are, well, we're not. We're sinful. So when the Bible describes how you describe all of who he is, it uses the word glory, and then it says you're not built to encounter his glory. Nobody can see his glory and even survive it. So if that's true, how in the world are we possibly supposed to know him? Well, in his kindness, God has taken the initiative to reveal himself to us. It is at first by creation. I know there's few places on earth that may reveal the beauty of God's creation more than springtime in Kentucky. <laughs> Hadn't it been a beautiful week? And you look at all the flowers and the, the things, and you have the rain showers, and all those things, and all those things are pointing to God's, God's power and God's creativity and, and God's loveliness, and we see something of God there. But then God gets even more specific because he speaks to his people in a way they can understand. God had chosen leaders he spoke to, Abraham and Moses and King David, and we wrote down what he said. And then there was a history of Israel and the events that happened there, and we wrote down and recorded what was there. There were, there were uh, uh, 
prayers that were expressed to God and songs sung about God and stories told and teachings that were done and all of that recorded because God wanted that recorded. So what we have in our, in our Bible is a record of what God was saying to us and describing to us as the way things are and of who he is. God is speaking to us. Now, we understand the basics of how speaking works physically, don't we? we from, from deep inside of us, our, our lungs pump air up, and the, the air crosses across our vocal cords. And then from our, our heart, we choose our, our words, and we choose our emotions to express who we, who we are. So when we, when we speak, we're communicating what comes from the core of who we are. Listen, if I speak, you get a sense of their kind of their roots. If you hear their accent, kind of their, their background, maybe their upbringing a little bit, you get to know their priorities and their personality and their heart. So when the scripture says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. What's that telling us is that by the Bible is God speaking from his most inner heart with authority and love to reveal who he is. So what's his heart? What's his beating heart? If you look back in verses six and seven, he says, I want you to call on the Lord and I want you to come while he's near, call on him while he may be found. He encourages, I want you to deal with the sin that would keep you from me. So repent of that sin and return to me. He said, there's compassion. There's abundant pardon. I'll forgive your sin. And so what we see there as throughout the scripture is this relentless reaching of God in love for us. And that culminates in Jesus. Our articles of faith say that too. That all scripture is a testimony to who Jesus is. Do you remember what, what John, one of Jesus' inner circle, called Jesus? He said he was the word. He became flesh and dwelt among us. The writer of the Hebrews became even more clear about that. He said God has spoken to us by his son. So everything God ever wanted to say to us is said in Jesus and in the gospel. So the first thing the scriptures do is they enable us to have a relationship with God. How do we do that? We repent and believe. We repent, we turn away from our sin. And we say, I'm not gonna believe or lean on that. And I'm gonna believe or trust in who Jesus is and what he did. Well, how do we know what to believe? Romans tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We hear it when we hear the word of Christ. We hear the word of the gospel, the word of the truth. So we, we give this diagram of the three circles and saying this is a way to think about the way the gospel works. Well, how do we know what God's design for our life is? How do we know what is simple and what is not that leads to brokenness? How do we know that God will not leave us separated from him and our brokenness, but will, will come to us in, in Jesus, in the gospel, who will come and live and die and rise again and, and says to us, come to me. And offer, how do we know any of that? The only way we know that is because he's given it to us in his word. He's shown it to us in his word. It's how we know the gospel all is there. So the scriptures are the key to beginning a relationship with God. You say, okay, I've, 
maybe you're here and you've never, you never taken that step. Can we just urge you today to hear the word of God saying, come to me. Come to me. Draw near to me. Repent of sin and believe me. You know what he says? He says, if you'll call on me, I'll save you. I'll rescue you. I'll give you my life. It's what he promises. We'd urge you to do that today if that's not been your experience. But if you have, or you trust as Christ, now what? Is the only thing he's saying in the Bible is what is needed to get us saved? Well, no. He keeps speaking. We keep listening. It's like he's saying, come here. Come here. Listen. I want you to, I got some stuff to tell you about who I am and what I'm like. And you read the word and you say, you get to know a God who is holy and just and kind and good and wise and righteous and strong and sovereign and gracious and joyful and merciful and, and patient and guiding and helping and comforting and love over and over. He says, that's who I am. That's who I am. Brothers, sisters, this knowing God, this word that he speaks is the bedrock for a thriving life foundation you're laying of knowing your king will shape the life that you live well what happens as we continue listening to him not only do we know him personally but also he says that he will enable us to think with godly perspective think about our lives we go through and all of us whether we're conscious of it or not we live out of a perspective on four key questions about life we talked about this before uh, who am I? Where did I come from? That's the question of purpose or origins. What's gone wrong with the world? That's the question of pain. Who or what can fix it? That's the question of salvation. Where's all this headed and how will it end? That's the question of hope. And we can get those answers from all kinds of places, maybe from religion or philosophy, but you could also get it from an authority figure or from a, a friend group, from, from your education, from, from politics. You can get it from, from a movie or, or a line in a song. Wherever you're getting your answer to those questions, that will shape everything about our life. But the world's full of false stories with false answers to those questions. So remember, God's, God's Word, the Bible... Is God speaking to us with perfect love and authority, not only to reveal who he is, but to reveal what is true, what matches with reality. So you look down again in verses 8 and 9, and he talks about your thoughts, not like my thoughts. Your thoughts are different than my thoughts. I have a different perspective about those four questions, and they're not like just like the common way of thinking about, about life. Now, why are they different? Verse 9 is very clear. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God has a higher perspective. He can see further. He can see more clearly. He can see rightly uh, in all of those things. Have you, have you ever been in a spot where, uh, where you just couldn't really get a good grip on actually where you were. That all around you, you just, everywhere you looked, you didn't really see or recognize a landmark, couldn't see what was going on, and, and, and you kind of couldn't get a good grip on that. 
A few years ago, I took a group of college students to the Passion Conference in Atlanta. It was in what was then called the Georgia Dome. There were 60,000 of us there. And so we let out of the session, it was this massive crush of humanity. Just everywhere you went, there were people at every side. And you had to get to certain spots and kind of follow the signs, but you couldn't hardly see because there were so many people around you on all sides and everybody kind of moving. And so at one point, I found a, a, a light pole with a base, hopped up on the light pole so I could see it's kind of like, like, like being the, the guy on the whaler, whaling ship at the top of the mast. You know? you know, I could see, and I could see the signs, right? I could see where we were supposed to go. And from that, that higher perspective, uh, I, the confusion began to lift. Now, as we make our way through seasons of life, where we're going to need direction and meaning, it's all too easy as we walk through this world as it is for us to get crushed in, kind of claustrophobic with a whole bunch of opinions about what your best life is supposed to be and what the experts said and what your win-loss record on things like this have been before and what you understand and what you don't and all those kind of things. And what can happen as we begin to, to look at those things is, is that, that we can, can get kind of stuck and in that moment, God says, I want you to come up higher. I want you to see things from a different perspective. So just one aspect of that, God's view is eternal. Now, our view is limited to what's right here and right now. So we see the world's a mess. I want to fix it. I want to get relief from it. I want to understand it. But I'll find the challenges are too big and I'm too small. And, and right in the middle of that, what am I going to do? Here's what the word says. God says. We do not focus on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, only a few things really last forever. Uh, God, his word and the gospel and human souls, that's all that lasts forever. So we deal with things around us in our culture. Let's just say, for instance, just say you see a person who is different from you in their, uh, in their ethnicity or their politics or their personality. And you might see them as an opponent, somebody different, somebody you couldn't really connect to, or you could come up a little higher and see them as God sees them, as a person created in the image of God with an eternal soul who's going to be alive in somewhere, heaven or hell, 200 years from today. You can go on with your friends and you can share work and share a cubicle at work and what you do there. You can talk across the backyard with your, with your neighbors and you can do tailgating at Hilltoppers games and you can coach Little League soccer together and talk about all the stuff we talk about. You can talk about the weather, about sports and frustrations and this, that and the other that's going on. And you can do that for years and years of time or an eternal perspective. You could share the gospel in a conversation, never knowing what might happen to totally transform that person's life and tip a whole series of transformed lives and transformed families that you won't see until heaven someday. They never know. Maybe you're in a confusing or hurtful circumstance and you worry about it and you struggle with it and you wonder if God is there in the middle of that or from a higher perspective, Remember that God's promise that he's using all things good and bad to make us more and more like Jesus. You see the perspective? We're living inside of a much bigger story and the author is our heavenly father who knows you best and loves you the most. 
Who knows this moment and what flows into it and what's flowing out of it, how it all fits together to make a beautiful story. And you may not see it all now. You may not see it while you live on this earth. It may be just around the bend of the river, but here's what you know. Your father's on the, around the bend of the river too. He sees everything that is there. Do you see how if we see things from that eternal perspective, it lets us just, we can breathe. We don't feel that sense of frustration anymore because the foundation you're laying of a true perspective will shape the life you're living. Not only will we see that, but also he says that he'll enable us to act with godly priorities. He said, your ways, the way you do stuff, the way you decide things, that's different from me too. Now, what God's reminding us here is the Bible talks about a couple of ways to live. The first way is the way of foolishness, which ignores God's perspective and ignores God's priorities. We humans kind of have a default setting for our decision-making. We we analyze stuff first, right? We consider, what do I know? What do I not know? What does somebody I know know? What has other people in my similar situation done? Then we anticipate what could happen here. Will this bring me happiness? Will this relieve pain? Will this resolve this conflict? And once we kind of settle that, then we kind of aim. We aim money at it. We aim time at it. We aim people at it. And we act. And that kind of, this is kind of the way we go about things doesn't really work out so well for us. Two times in the book of Proverbs, here's this observation is made. There's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. Jesus said the same thing. He said the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. So if I, if I make decisions taking just all the ways the world says to make decisions about money and people and opportunities and all those kind of things, and that's all I consider, the Bible says that's, that's the way to death and destruction. There's another way to live and that's the way of wisdom which considers God's perspective and priorities. It calls for a different way to make decisions. My ways are higher than your ways. So what else might I consider? I'm still going to consider the practical things of money and opportunities, all those kind of things. But what else might we consider? A couple of questions. You might just want to ask, is this obedient to my king? The Bible has dozens of commands it's really not hard to know what God's will is. He's told us, do these things. Now, now, keep in mind, this is not do this stuff so you can get some points on God will like you. No, it's been settled by the cross. It's all by grace. It's because of what he's done. Now, I want to obey him. So what's he command us? He says, well, love God above everything. Love people. Love your enemies. He says, be holy. Just like I am Holy. He commands us, don't be anxious, but trust your heavenly Father. If you're in a family, you're a husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church. If you're a wife, respect and honor your husband. If you're a parent, raise your children to know and love the, the Lord. Show hospitality to strangers, open and welcome your life to them. Speak with your words, only what's encouraging to build other people up. Oh, yeah, Make disciples. Make disciples of other people. Share. Those are, those are all commands. Does this thing I'm deciding to do help me obey what God has explicitly told me to do? Second question. Will this bring God glory? The Bible says whatever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. What that means is nothing is trivial. That everything you and I are deciding to do with our moments and our time and our money and our relationships are all an opportunity to display and make much of the goodness, efficiency, power, strength of God. So you just ask those questions. And remember, God speaks with authority and love to reveal who he is, what is true, and how to live. If we just ask just those two questions, it begins to align us with God's priorities for life. But it's also important to remember that acting with God's word may mean acting upside down the way everybody else in the world acts. God's done that over and over again. Hey, Abraham, hey, go to the land. I'll show you when you get there. Hey, Moses, I know you're in a desert. Take the stick, hit the rock, water's going to come out. Hey, Joshua, I know you're at a city with all kinds of walls. Just kind of walk around it for a while. Shout, blow some horns, walls are going to fall down, no problem. Hey, Mary, you're going to become pregnant before you even have a husband pregnant with the Messiah. Jesus told us the most, didn't he? We was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Lord, if there's any other way, nevertheless... Not my will, but your will be done. The foundations you're laying of submission and obedience to God's word will shape the life that you're living. And so as we begin to live with God's perspective and we act with God's priorities, we'll end up joining with God's purposes. Godly Purposes. Important to see the why behind what God is speaking. Down in verses 10 and 11, God, God reminds us, he said, that he speaks to, to cause. So shall my word be that comes out of my mouth, like rain coming down, shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose, shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God speaks with intention. He means for things to happen. Think about creation. There was nothing God spoke, there was something. Hebrews affirms the same thing. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what this is saying is that when the word of God intersects with our lives, it will accomplish the purpose of God both in you and around you. His word will not fail. It will not return empty. It'll never, ever be defeated. Now, think about this. Has that changed the way you approach coming and listening to a message like this on Sunday mornings? When you know whatever you are hearing from the word of God that day, God has you here under that word because he intends something to happen in you or around you because of the very word of God. How's it change the way you go and read the scriptures? When you begin to read it, you're, you're hearing the, the king of the universe speak about his purposes. What's he doing? He wants to bring himself glory by rescuing sinners and, and reconciling them to God. He wants to change eternal destinies. He wants to transform lives from death to life. He wants to transform lives. He wants to give, give justice for the abused and bring comfort for those who are hurting and strength for those who are weak and peace for those who are, are anxious and hope to those who are despairing. He's going to do that over and over again. And we know he will do that. Why? Because he told us. He's told us in his word how he's going to do, what he's going to do. So you come to read the Bible and you look across your life and you say, in the future and your friends and your family, and it looks 
looks dead, but you're reading the word of God and say, God, here's what I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust your word to do what you said. But God is still speaking in his truth and his promises, which means seeds of his purposes are being watered. He said, like rain that's coming down. And in his time, those seeds of his purpose will sprout and they will grow and they will nourish you and they will accomplish his purposes. And many, many times, brothers, sisters, what you got to understand is the seed of his purpose that he's watering is you. It's your life that he intends to draw something out that looks like him. So God invites you to hear his word and believe and order your life and join his purpose. That's a foundation, but a whole life that looks like looks like him because the foundation you're laying of his purposes will shape the life that you're living you want to have a thriving life scriptures the bedrock of knowing him but then living out his perspective and thinking after him and acting with his priorities in obedience and submission and joining with his purposes in the world that results in a thriving life. You see why we encourage Bible reading? It's not to check off a list of spiritual activities. It's because the almighty king of the universe has something to say to you and me. It's something to speak to our souls. So I don't know, how, how do I... How do I know what to do? And how do I hear God's word like this? Well, you could take any passage that you, you're going to read, and you could ask the questions that we've been walking through today. Think of it like a sword. Hebrews said, said the word of God's the sword of the spirit, right? Think of a sword. You're holding it up. What's the tip do when you're holding it up? Tip's pointing up. So that as you're reading the passage, you say, what's this passage teaching me about God? about God's purposes, about God's character, about God's ways, about God's priorities. You're the one holding it. So second question I ask, what's this passage teach me about humanity, of people like me, about my perspective, about my tendencies, about my sin, about, about my, my confusion, about my ways? What's it teach me about that? And then the blade's going to cut both ways, right? So you just ask some questions. As I read this, is there, a, is there a sin to confess? Is there a, a promise or a truth that I'm to believe? Is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? As you walk through those simple questions, and it could be a chapter, a paragraph, a sentence, doesn't make any difference. You can use the same thing, and you just pray that into your life. And what you know is the Bible, like God, never moves without love. Love for him, love for others. So we just urge you to commit to listen to God's word in the scriptures, to order your life around it, to obey it. For some of you today, that means to repent of sin and trust Christ alone as your Savior. For others of you, it's to order some aspect of your life away from just the way the world thinks, the very word of God. When you do that, you know the reality of that old hymn. Remember it said, how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord. It's laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. The word of God will lay a foundation deep on which God, God can build a life in you, through you, around you for your good and for his glory. Let's pray together.
So Lord, this morning you have us here because your word has spoken. Since your word doesn't return empty, I pray right now you would help us to see what it is that you have to say to us. So for those who do not know you, would you help them to repent of sin and trust Christ alone to put them right with God? For you have promised whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Lord, there's some others of us, we've already trusted you, but we've gotten really caught up and confused in the ways of the world and we're defined by other things and other purposes and other priorities and other perspectives. Would you help us to see clearly how we can order our life by your word and help us to obey, to live that out? Because Lord, we really do want to live a thriving life. It looks more and more like you at every single moment. So help us to do that by trusting and living your word that's true and right and good. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.